All right. So what we're doing through this season is uh, uh, I'm just giving you statements about Christmas. So last week, for example, I said that Christmas is both the most offensive and the most wonderful message ever proclaimed. The statement for this week is this. Christmas is about the wonderful counselor of truth and tears. Christmas is about the wonderful counselor of truth and tears. I think that people are divided into two different groups. I actually think that this church is divided into two different groups. Those of you that belong to the truth part, the fixers, and those of you that belong to the tears part, the compassionate people. Just because we are family to know who are we dealing with here this morning, how many of you guys are part of the truth group? Raise your hand. All right. Yeah, you got issues. How many of you guys are more part of the, the tears group, compassion people? Yeah, you got issues as well. Actually, what you're going to see today is that people in general need both. We need truth and we need compassion. We need truth and we need tears. And that's why none of us is Jesus. Because only Jesus is the one that has them both. So the first question we're going to ask this morning to the text is, why is Jesus called a wonderful counselor? Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a counseling session, whether a clinical counseling or a pastoral counseling uh, or both. There's one thing that is for sure, though. The only way counseling truly works, listen up, church, the only way counseling truly works is if you are willing to acknowledge that you need it. Hmm. Depressing. <laughs> the only way counseling truly knows works is if you know and you acknowledge that you need it. Amen? Any counselor will tell you that. Any counselor will tell you that counseling is only effective if the, pers if the person is willing to admit that there's something wrong inside of them. This is part of the reason why when we talk about Christmas and a passage that talks about Christmas, we pick Isaiah, in which chapter 8 and chapter, the beginning of chapter 9 uses the same kind of words to talk about people's emotional condition and people's spiritual conditions. He uses words like gloom or distress or walking in darkness or living in the land of deep darkness. Once again, this is a description of what it means to live a life without Jesus or a description of what it means to live a life in which Jesus is just a religious figure or what it means to live a life in which Jesus is someone that you invite into your life only when you need him or this is a description of someone that even knows about Jesus only finds them useful but not beautiful. Gloom, distress, walking in darkness, Living in the land of darkness, this emotional and spiritual uh, brokenness that we, have, that we live with. Now, as much as, as this is important, and I think that most of us would agree, at the same time, our culture, and in our time, and in this part of the world specifically, uh, it tells you that you should never admit that there's something wrong with you. 
I mean, the lesson that we hear over and over again is that we should never let others that there's something wrong with us. Because vulnerability and honesty at that level is a sign in our culture, a sign of weakness. So we are part of a world in which you're supposed to be mentally and emotionally strong if you want to make it in life. They use phrases like, you, are, you have to conquer, don't surrender. It tells you that even if this is not true, you got to fake it until you make it. How many of you guys ever heard that before? You know what the problem is with that? You can fake it all you want, you're never going to make it. It doesn't matter how much you fake it. Listen, we are all fakers here. Offensive? We are all fakers here. And you can't fake it enough. You won't make it. Actually, as a society, we are experts in dealing with this kind of stuff by not confronting it, but instead having one of these three things practice in our daily lives. We hide it. We hide our brokenness. We try to distract from our brokenness, or we pretend that it doesn't exist. Either we hide it, we distract from it, or we pretend that it doesn't exist. Do you know what the problem is with that? You go home, you turn off the light, you're by yourself, and your brokenness is still there. There was a controversial comedian comedian a few years ago. His name George Carlin. Very controversial. He wrote a piece called The Paradox of Our Time. And he says something that I wish more Christians would say. This is what he says. The paradox of our time in history is that we have taller buildings but shorter tempers. Wider freeways but narrower viewpoints. We spend more but have less. We buy more but enjoy less. We have bigger houses and smaller families. More conveniences but less time. We have more degrees but less sense. More knowledge but less judgment. More experts yet more problems. More medicine but less wellness. We drink too much. Smoke too much. Spend uh, spend too recklessly, laugh too little, drive too fast, get too angry, stay up too late, get up too tired, read too little, watch TV too much, and pray too seldom. And this guy's not even a believer. Amen. We have multiplied our possessions, but reduced our values. We talk too much, love too seldom, and hate too often. We've learned how to make a living, but not a life. We've added years to life, but not life to years. I think that he's right. I think that that's a description of our time and maybe a description of who we are. People that are still emotionally and spiritually broken. Now, this is the good news, though. That if you acknowledge that it's you, and I acknowledge that it's me, then a counselor makes sense. Then it tells you that we all need a counselor. Actually, let me argue for a second that you need this counselor so and so bad that unless you receive this counseling, you become cynical or pessimistic or bitter or you lose trust in people 
or you lose trust in God, and eventually you become hard in your heart. Someone labeled this, losing your humanity. But if you embrace this, which is my second argument, if you acknowledge that you're living in a world of brokenness and that deep down inside we are all still broken, then we know that we need help. And then the counselor makes sense. Beautiful thing about the gospel, the beautiful thing about Christmas, the beautiful thing about the Bible is that it tells you that this is the reason why a child was born, a son was given to us, this person that is called a wonderful counselor. Now, let me make a note here. This is super interesting because if you notice, this is one name. Wonderful counselor is one name given to Jesus. And there are, there are another three names given to Jesus, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And we're going to talk about those, God willing, as the weeks uh, move uh, forward. But what I want you to see is that there's something unique about these two names given to Jesus. Actually, those two names, you could say it's kind of a compound name, if you will. And commentators pointed, point out that the reason why Jesus receives two names or sets of two names it's because the Bible wants us to see that Jesus is on one end divine and on the other, on the other end man. Completely God and completely man. 100% God and 100% man. So when we talk about Jesus as a counselor, we're saying, yeah, well, he's a counselor like a man. But because he's a wonderful counselor, then he is the God-man counselor. Meaning that no counselor can tell you what he says. No counselor has the ability to work in your heart the way he does. Listen, I'm a counselor by profession. That's what it means to be a shepherd. But none of the stuff that I could say, if it's away from the words of Jesus, can do anything for you. We have this beautiful Jesus called the God-man counselor, the wonderful counselor. And that's why it's so important that we understand the meaning of the words wonderful and counselor. So, for example, the word wonderful can be translated as someone that does supernatural things or is supernatural and someone that performs miracles. Jesus is the one that does supernatural things and is supernatural, the one that performs miracles. And as a counselor, it means that he gives divine wise advice. He is a divine teacher. And he executes divine plans. This is a great summary of who Jesus is, why Jesus wanted to come, and why Jesus came. Notice that it doesn't say that he's a wonderful counselor, but the wonderful counselor. The New Testament, when it talks about Jesus in these terms, uses the word in, in, in Greek, uh, parakletos. It's a compound word. Para means someone that stands beside you. Kletos means someone that speaks or yells. This is the reason why I raise my voice every now and then, by the way. <laughs> I learned that from Jesus. It's someone that starts, Jesus is someone that stands next to you and yells into your heart. And yells into your soul. And yells to make sure that you listen to him. Now look at some of the implications then. Because if Jesus is the wonderful counselor and he's completely God and completely man, 
means that every time Jesus says something, something supernatural happens. That his voice is supernatural, that the word of God is supernatural, that when you expose yourself to the beautiful and amazing, perfect and sufficient word of God, something happens. Miracles happen, even when you can't see them. If Jesus, this is the same Jesus that we find in the beginning of creation, the same God that is spoke and things happen. It's the same Jesus, the same word, the wonderful counselor. This is the same Jesus that we find in the Gospels. Speaks to nature and nature submits to him. That's crazy. This is the same Jesus that speaks to a sick person and the person finds healing on the spot by the power of his word. This is the same Jesus that speaks to demons and demons run away from him. You try that. And you see that nothing happens. Actually, this is a really interesting story in one of the Gospels in which someone thinks that they have authority over demons and they try to cast out demons and the demons jump, jump on him, and the person now is running butt naked because demons were stronger than him. That's funny. <laughs> but now with Jesus, he speaks, and everything submits to him. If Jesus is a wonderful counselor, and he's completely God and completely man, then he knows how to speak, when to speak, and why to speak. Everything he does is with divine perfection. If Jesus is the wonderful counselor and he's completely God and completely man, his advice is not wisdom based on experience or research or accumulation of information. That's our wisdom. His wisdom is divine. Is the omnipotent God, the God that has power over everything. Is the omniscient God, the God that knows everything. It is the eternal God, the one that, that always existed. Is the perfect wise God, the one that knows everything and how everything works. It is that God is speaking to us, the wonderful counselor. And if Jesus is the wonderful counselor, it's completely God and completely man. Listen up, church. Whatever he says, you need to hear. As a matter of fact, you want to hear. So, sometimes he tells you what you already know about yourself. But you know why he tells you what you already know about yourself? Because you need to hear it again. Sometimes he tells you stuff that you don't know about yourself. And the reason why he tells you what you don't know about yourself is because you need to hear it. Sometimes he tells you stuff that you, did not, you didn't even expect. But the reason why he tells you is because you need to hear it. And sometimes he tells you stuff that you pretend that you don't know. Listen, I'm yet to find a person that commits adultery and says, oh, wait, this is not my wife. Never seen that. <laughs> I never seen a person that lies and says, oh, I'm sorry. Did I lie? Like we all know when we're sinning, people. And Jesus speaks even when we pretend that we don't know. This is the reason why Jesus is the wonderful counselor. This is the reason why we got to pay attention to uh, verses like Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, in which he tells you that the word of God is alive and active. 
Never comes back empty. Something is happening. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even the dividing soul and spirit. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of your heart. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Jesus is the wonderful counselor that when he speaks, I guarantee you that he's doing something in your heart because it is the word of God. Jesus' words go deeper and more profound than anything else in the world. Why? Because it is sharp and it penetrates. It confronts us with the reality of who we are. That's why it judges. It reveals the secrets of your hearts, the stuff that you know you don't want anybody else to see. And brings to light what you don't want to see. It puts everything in, everything is uncovered and laid bare. You know what's interesting about that word, laid bare? It's a picture word. It's, the author wants us to imagine an animal that has been sacrificed and the neck is open and exposed for everyone to see. And he says that the word of God is just like that. Exposes everything, puts it all in the open. Have you ever been in a time in which you listen to a preaching or you read the word of God or something has to do with the word of God and you feel like if God was speaking just to you? My experience has been as pastor, how did you know? I said, I, I didn't know. God did. So learn this from me. It doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter how many sins you have committed. It doesn't matter how much you have walked away from the Lord. It doesn't matter the stuff that you have done on purpose or not on purpose. You always go back to the word of God, even if you feel guilty and ashamed. You know why? Because every time you expose yourself to the word of God, the wonderful counselor is doing something. It doesn't matter how much you have sinned. Go back to the word of God Something will happen. If not, you will become a cynic, a pessimistic, bitter, and eventually your heart will be hard. Can you see why is it that we need this divine counselor? This wonderful, perfect, beautiful, eternal, omnipotent, omniscient counselor. So that answers the first question. Why is Jesus called a wonderful counselor? The second question is, why would I say that he's the counselor of truth and tears? See, anybody knows uh, that has dealt with a counselor or knows anything about counseling, that a good counselor has developed the ability of either confronting or bringing comfort when it's required. Any good counselor... Any good counselor knows the difference between confronting and bringing comfort. Any good counselor knows the difference between when to bring truth and when to exercise compassion. Any good counselor. Now, the Old Testament, when it talks about the leaders that the Lord chose to help and lead and, and guide his people, talks about three kinds of leaders, if you will. The prophet the priest, and the king. Now, the, prof, the king had the responsibility, uh, was appointed by God, and had the responsibility to lead God's people. That was the king. The prophet played a different role. 
The prophet was the voice of God. He represented God to God's people. He spoke truth. And the priest represented people before God. He will be the one that will make sacrifices for God's people, plead on behalf of God's people. And because he was also a sinner, he understood God's people. In other words, he knew what it meant to suffer. Now, what is interesting when we move to the New Testament, the New Testament makes it clear that Jesus fulfilled all three roles. Jesus is the ultimate prophet, the ultimate priest, and the ultimate king. Now, we're going to talk about the ultimate king next week when we talk about Jesus as mighty God, so come back. Uh, today, we're going to talk about how is it that Jesus fulfills the other two roles, prophet and priest, and why is it that Jesus as a wonderful counselor fulfills the roles of prophet and priest. Jesus is the only wonderful counselor that does this confrontation and brings comfort at the same time. The only one that could do that. That's why we started by me asking you how many of you guys are truth or tears. Because the tendency is to be able to do one better than the other or just to do one. I don't care about your feelings. All I have to care is what I tell you what I think. That doesn't help. But if you only are the person of tears, the tendency is to compromise the truth. Jesus is the only counselor of truth and tears. And because he's God, he does it better than anyone else and like no one else. Now let me show you two passages that actually shows us Jesus as both this priest and this prophet. Hebrews chapter 4, for example, talks about Jesus as the counselor of tears, or priest. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize. Can you say empathize? With our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Now notice that he describes Jesus as this high priest. As the one that represents us before the Father. But notice that he says that he's not like other priests. This one can actually empathize with us. And the meaning of the word empathize is extremely important for you to know. Because the literal translation of the word empathize is means, it, it, is this, someone that suffers with you. Someone that suffers with someone, someone that suffers with the misfortune. So if you experience distress or gloom or fear and you feel that you're living in the, in the land of darkness, in Jesus you have some, someone that is even better than someone that sympathizes with you, but someone that empathizes with you. Do you know the difference between those two? This is the difference. Sympathize is like, man, I'm sorry you're going through that. Empathize is what you feel, I feel. When you weep, I weep. When you hurt, I hurt. Did you know that this is the reason why Jesus is calling the New Testament compassionate? See, in English, the word compassionate comes from two words. Come with and passion, Christ's suffering. You know what that means then? That every time Jesus has exercised compassion toward us, 
It is Christ suffering with men. It is Christ suffering with me. Compassion and empathize are synonyms. And did you know that when the word com uh, compassion is used in the New Testament, it's not just talking about the feelings of Jesus. It's something that comes from within. That hurts him to see you hurt. That moves men to see you weep. That he suffers from within when you suffer. Listen, the closest experience we have, the closest experience we have is when you have someone that you really love, a son or a daughter or your wife or a really close friend, and when they suffer, you feel it from within. And Jesus says that he's the wonderful counselor that feels and suffers with you. He weeps when you weep. Nobody can do that for you but him. Even the best of us that really try, only Jesus can look at you and feel what you feel with the same magnitude and more. You know why? Because he has no sin. So that's the passage that shows you, presents Jesus as... Um, as a God of tears. Let me show you another passage that shows you Jesus as a prophet. Let me see if this is the next passage. Yes. This is Jesus in the transfiguration. Jesus is with the three disciples. And uh, they, have, they have this time of prayer. And Elijah and Moses shows up. And when they disappear, the Lord says this. A voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son who I have chosen. Listen to him. This is God the Father speaking and saying to the disciples. So they tell us later on that the voice of Jesus is the voice of God. That whatever God says as a father, Jesus says as a son. And they both come from the same God. That we shouldn't have issues understanding that everything that Jesus says comes from God, because he is God. You know why that's so important? Because if Jesus is the wonderful counselor, then that means that he defines reality. Not your feelings, not your experience, not your emotions, and not your culture. Jesus defines reality. Not only Jesus defines reality, but he is the wonderful counselor, then he also defines truth. Not your emotions, not your experience, and not your culture. Jesus does. And therefore, if Jesus is the wonderful counselor, he tells you what is objective and what is subjective. That's part of the issue that I have with modern-day Christianity. People call us to adapt Christianity to the changes of the culture. But we adapt ourselves to what Jesus says, even if it's not popular. Don't you find that amazing about Jesus? He's the only one that could tell you what you need to hear, when you need to hear it, and how you need to hear it. And he's never indifferent to your pain. L listen, read through the entire Gospels, and you will find this time and time again. 
But the best example that we have in this is this encounter that Jesus has with Martha and Mary at the same time. This is when Lazarus passed away. And Jesus is called to come and see them. And obviously Martha and Mary are going to distress and gloom and fear, living in the land of darkness. And when Jesus comes to see them, this wonderful counselor, the way he deals with both of them, same event, same struggle, same pain, and he deals with them in a different way. So first happens with Martha. John chapter 11, look at what Martha says to Jesus. Um, she says, if you had been here, my brother would have not died. That makes sense. But look at how, how Jesus responds to her. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives uh, by believing in me will never die. And then he says, do you believe this? And someone may look at this and read this and say, man, Jesus, not sensitive at all. Don't forget, though, that this is the same Jesus that is the Jesus of compassion. It's the Jesus that suffers with people. Do you know why he gives, some, he gives her doctrine? Do you understand why is it that Jesus gives her, gives, uh, gives her doctrine? It's because he knows that what her heart longed for was doctrine, truth. This is Jesus saying to this broken lady, you need to remember that I am the resurrection. You need to remember that I am life. That even if your brother died, I could raise him up again. You need to remember that at the end of times, everyone will be resurrected. You, you need to remember that death has nothing on me. Why did he say that? Because she needed that. The wonderful counselor knows exactly what to say, when to say it, and how to say it. But when he goes to Mary, something different happens. Look at it in verse 32. Mary reached out to the place where Jesus was, and she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have not died. Isn't this the same thing that Martha said? Word for word. And you would think, oh, Jesus, give her doctrine. But look at what happened in verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled, and Jesus wept. Have you ever been in a funeral? Sometimes it's better not to say anything. Sometimes what you need the most is just to be there. Have you ever been with someone that has lost a loved one? Or is going through extreme pain? Sometimes the best thing is not to quote verses, you know? It's just to be there. You know what doesn't make sense to me? This is God. The almighty God. The all-powerful God, the eternal God, weeping with a tiny person like you or me. 
Isn't he the wonderful counselor? Isn't he the one that you need the most? He knows exactly what you long for. He knows exactly what you need. Whether you experience distress or worry or fear or anxiety or gloom or discourage, he knows what to say, when to say it, how to say it, and he knows when to weep with you and for you. So the worst thing that you can do for your soul whenever you struggle is to run away from Jesus. The worst thing that you can do for your soul when you struggle is to try to hide or distract yourself or pretend that nothing happens. Please, in the name of God, run to him. Listen to him. Pray to him. I guarantee you that he knows how to deal with the deepest longings of your heart. Church, let me make a side note here because that's what it means to be a church, you know? That's exactly what it means to be family. That we learn how to love one another in truth and tears. That we learn how to speak to one another when, when we need to hear truth. And we, ne- we learn how to weep with one another when someone is suffering. That's why we need one another, people. So the question is, where do we learn that from? What well, we learned that from our Savior, Jesus Christ, our wonderful counselor, the one that is the counselor of te- tears and truth. So this week, a brother from the church sent me this article about this woman, amazing woman. She, uh, she had an accident in the 70s, I believe, and uh, the Lord has been using this woman in amazing ways, written about 50 books, um, and she's, still, she's a lady in, with disabilities, physical disabilities. And she describes her journey in her relationship with Jesus and how Jesus speaks truth to her all the time. But when she describes Jesus as the compassionate one, he says, he is the one pumping compassion into my wounded soul. This is the crazy thing. 50 years, she has been in a wheelchair. The Lord did not give her healing over that wheelchair. The Lord spoke to her soul and to her heart and didn't take the pain away, the physical pain away. But it's interesting that when you read her writings, she truly, truly finds Jesus wonderful. Now, I told you before that the definition for the word wonderful is supernatural or miracle, that he performs miracles, right? But another translation for the word wonderful is beautiful or sufficient and fulfilling, And this lady, in the midst of her brokenness, as she's walking around with her little wheelchair, as she's still struggling every day, writing with a toothpick from her mouth, she still finds Jesus beautiful. You know how I know that? This is what he says. It sounds incredible, but I really would rather be in this wheelchair knowing Jesus as I do than to be at my feet without Jesus. Who can say that? Only when Jesus is beautiful, wonderful, amazing, fulfilling, satisfying to the point that everything else becomes secondary. Even the ability of walking like a normal person. 
May the Lord grant us to know him like that. You know what's ironic? That this wonderful counselor, the counselor of truth and tears, the counselor that suffers with me, when he experienced gloom, distress, and even fear, there was no one to suffer with him. That's ironic. You remember at Gethsemane? He knows that he's about to go to the cross. And he asked his friends to pray for him and to pray with him. And they fell asleep. And in the midst of his agony, there's no one to suffer with him. And then when you get to the cross, as he's nailed bleeding to death, as he cries out to the Father, why have you forsaken me? You know what he got? Nothing. No words of encouragement, no empathy, no compassion, complete silence. The, ones that, the one that suffers with people, no one suffered with him. Do you know why? For you and me. He takes the punishment we deserve. He goes to the place where we were supposed to go. So you are never, ever, ever, if you have placed your faith in him, so you never, ever, ever are alone in your suffering. And so you always, always, always will have him in his spirit through his word speaking to you. Do you know why is it that he suffered without anybody? So we don't have to. The reason why he suffered by himself is so we don't have to. It doesn't matter how much it hurts. It doesn't matter how much you suffer. If you have placed your faith in him, he speaks truth into your soul and weeps with you, with you all the way. Did you know that this is one of the reasons why we celebrate communion? Because we need to remember that. We need to remember that he is the God, the wonderful counselor that speaks truth and weeps with us. And we're never alone. That's why he bought it. That's why he surrendered his body and shed his blood. So as you, work, as you uh, walked in, you probably grabbed one of these little cups. I'm going to ask you to please grab it. I'm going to ask you to please remove the first cup. If you can. The Bible invites believers to participate in this. The Bible calls believers to examine their hearts before they participate in communion. So I'm going to ask you to take a few seconds just there in the intimacy of your heart. 
But not just to check if there's something that you need to surrender to the Lord, but to remember a time in which the Lord spoke truth into your heart and in which you knew and felt and understood that Jesus was suffering with you. So take a few seconds there. The Bible says that the Lord Jesus and the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. This is my body that reminds you that I speak truth into your soul. This is a reminder that I, that I bleed with you, weep with you. Do this in remembrance of me. You may participate. Now I'm going to ask you to remove the second cover. And the Bible says that after supper, Jesus took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. You may participate. Did you know that there's one more thing that he said about communion? The Bible says that whenever we uh, eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You know what that means? That every time we participate in communion, we remember that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, this wonderful counselor, the counselor of truth and tears, We'll keep doing the same thing until he takes us home. And that one day, every single one of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, one day we're going to make it to home. In a place in which there will be no more gloom, no more distress, no more pain, no more fears, no more, uh, no more anything else, no more darkness, only light. In which we're going to get to see and enjoy and embrace our wonderful, wonderful Savior with no interruptions and no sin. And that's our hope. Amen? Amen. How about we stand and respond to the Lord in adoration?